Good evening. Welcome to Calvary Chapel, our midweek study. We are studying our way through some of the historical books of the Old Testament. We are in 2 Chronicles, and this evening we're in chapter 26 and in verse 3. So you can turn there with me, and I will open us in a word of prayer. We'll ask for the Lord to challenge us, as he always does when we open his word. Amen? We open his word, we hear from him, and, and we are usually spoken to in an area of our lives that we need to hear. And this evening we're going to be talking about pride. And, and I would guess, just a guess, <laughs> that all of us deal with the challenges of the sin of pride. What it is like to start to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. The Bible says that we should esteem one another as higher than ourselves, but oftentimes we choose to put ourselves first because we have a sin nature. and We're filled with pride, and we know what the book of Proverbs has to say about pride and how it goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. And so in this evening's study, we'll be studying the reign of Uzziah, king of Judah. And as we do that, we'll see that in his life, he's a good king for the most part, but in his life, he had some of the same pitfalls that his father had, Amaziah, which we studied last week, in that he allowed himself to think of himself more highly than he ought to. And it almost doesn't matter how many years you do well, if in the latter years, like a Samson, you give yourself over to sin or to pride, your testimony can be severely damaged before you exit this world. So we don't want that to happen. So let's ask the Lord to speak to our hearts this evening. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and how applicable it is to our hearts. And now as we study the life of King Uzziah, may each and every one of us learn what it is to be submitted to you, to give our hearts to you, and to live our lives for you. And Lord, if we have areas of our lives that we are unaware of, areas of sin and rebellion, or areas that we are aware of, that just need to be surrendered to you. May you reveal them to us this evening. Give us your Holy Spirit and the power and the strength that we need to submit these things to you, receive forgiveness, and be made more and more like you each day. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's look at the first few verses here. We'll read right through verse 5. We'll make a few comments. In chapter 26, In verse 3, we read, where we left off last week, Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother's name was Jechaliah, and she was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God, as long as he sought the Lord. God gave him success. Boy, that is just a wonderful uh, assessment of his life. I think that could be said of each and every one of us. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. I can tell you in times in my life when I'm not seeking the Lord, I don't anticipate being very successful in life or in anything. When I know that I'm going against what God has revealed in his word, I'm violating his word disobeying his will, I can expect that I will not be prosperous, that I will not be successful. In fact, I anticipate that what will happen is that I will not only fail, but take steps backward in my growing more and more Christ-like. 
So with King Uzziah, we've just read some of this, his ascent to the throne uh, was such that he inherited the kingdom of Judah from his father, Amaziah. His father had rebelled against the Lord. He was forced to flee Jerusalem. And his father was murdered by a conspiracy of his own officials in the wicked and idolatrous city of Lachish. And we studied this last week. And so Uzziah, which we read at the end of our study last week in verses 1 and 2 of this chapter in 26, Uzziah was made king by the people of Judah at the age of 16. Now, there is a challenge when trying to determine the chronology of the kings of Judah and Israel. And I've done a lot of reading on this and looked at a lot of charts. And I'll tell you, you have to allow for co-regency for there to be the time necessary for all of these kings to reign for the amount of time the Bible says they reigned. By that, we understand that there were times when fathers and sons both reigned. For one reason or another, you'd have two co-regents or two kings. You'd have the father reigning and the son reigning at the same time. It was sort of an overlap that happened often, especially among the kings of Judah. The times that it didn't necessarily happen are, are apparent, but the times that there was this co-regency are not always apparent in the Scripture because they're just giving us information. Sometimes it's hard to know. In fact, there's one king, we'll get to him, I believe it's Jotham, uh, that, you know, he only reigned a short period of time by himself, that most of his life he was either reigning alongside his father or his son was reigning alongside of him. But for this evening, I'll explain it in this way. He was made, Uzziah was made king by the people of Judah when he was 16 years old. And that's very young. But he actually ascended to the throne as co-regent while his father was held captive in Israel for nine years. That is the northern kingdom of Israel. We talked about this recently. So while his father was held captive, this man Uzziah was ruling and reigning. So yes, he ascended to the throne, but his father was still the high king, for he was still alive. And then he co-reigned with this man, Amaziah, for the next 15 years after his father's release until his father was murdered. And so Judah's officials probably murdered Amaziah, that is Uzziah's father, because they preferred Uzziah as king of Judah. He, he was a better king. Amaziah, we saw, had issues. He was a, a man who became proud and became an idolater, and in so doing, really brought the country, the nation, the kingdom, to a new low. As a consequence, the people just really wanted to get rid of Amaziah. They tried to murder him, and they ultimately did. And then Uzziah, who was also serving as king, became the high king. Now, Uzziah, and we read this last week, was immediately praised for one of his many accomplishments during his reign. In fact, if you go back to verse 2, it tells us in this chapter that he was the one who rebuilt Elath and restored it to Judah after Amaziah rested with his fathers. So almost immediately after Amaziah was murdered, uh, Uzziah begins to reform the nation in a good and godly way. And we're going to see that in tonight's study. Now, his name means, much like his father's name, it really means the same thing. That's why they're so similar. Amaziah, Uzziah, really means Jehovah is my strength. And when God was the strength of this king, this king prospered. And when he was filled with pride, as we'll see later on, he did not. So he reigned as king for 52 years. That's a very long time. See, as we said, he was 16 years old when he became king. 
and 39 years old when his father was killed. And he was also called Azariah in 2 Kings, which means Jehovah has helped. So here's a man who is known for relying on God's strength and God's help. Have you ever been in a place in your life, I certainly hope you're there tonight, where you were relying on God's strength and God's help? Because if you're in a place where you're relying on your own strength and not looking for God's help, you're in a bad place. You're in a dangerous place. Because if anyone thinks he's strong, let him take heed lest he fall, as the scripture says. So Uzziah, synonymous with the name of Amaziah, strength of Jehovah, as long as he lived up to his name, he did well. His mother, whose name meant Jehovah is able, was from Jerusalem. So this is a good man. This is a good and godly king. And his relationship with the Lord, which we've already read about in verses 4 through 5, is interesting because he had godly influence in his life. I pray that each of us have a godly influence in our lives. There's someone that's, at least someone or many people, who are speaking into your life, that you're spending time on a regular basis with those who are going to encourage you to serve the Lord. See, one of the things, and I think this is sort of a natural byproduct, or maybe I should say supernatural byproduct, of just being in church, that as you fellowship and study God's Word, as you serve, as you worship, as you do all that we do when we come together as the body of Christ, you're sort of naturally encouraged to do the right thing. Or should I say supernaturally encouraged? God's Spirit is working through the teaching of His Word, through times of prayer, through times of fellowship, through times of service, through times of praise. All the things that we do at church are designed by God to bring us closer to Him and to empower us and enable us to be like Him. So when someone says, well, I don't need to go to church to serve God, they're right. However, I would not want to try to get through life on the bare minimum or trying to achieve by, by, by myself what could much more easily be accomplished through the fellowship with others, doing the things that we do at church. We are encouraged to be in the body of Christ for a reason. It's not to prove to someone that we had good attendance. It's so that we can grow in our relationship with God. And I'm sure if you're like me, you find that when you're actually in church, you do I don't want to say feel closer to God, but you certainly are closer to God in many ways because you're focused on God. You're being directed to him. You're growing in the knowledge and understanding of his word. So I've always said the number one thing that a Christian can do, a disciple of Christ can do to grow in Christ and become more like Christ is simply attend a weekly service. And if you really want to sort of double that, attend a midweek service. And I'm preaching to the choir this evening. So you come out on a Sunday, you, you come out on a Wednesday, already you're ahead of the game. And as far as I'm concerned, that's a lot. Now throw in there your own personal Bible study, maybe a home study, maybe uh, listening to a few messages online and your own personal study time or attending another service, and you'll see very quickly that you'll grow more and more like Christ and more and more closer to Christ simply because you're allowing yourself to be available to God. I've always said it's not ability that God is looking for. It's availability. Make yourself available to God. Well, here's what happened. This man, while devoted to the Lord, was not fully devoted, as we'll see, not fully devoted to the Lord as God. He didn't follow the example or live up to the standard of his forefather, David, 
who served the Lord wholeheartedly, even though he was a guilty sinner. And, and David had a heart to praise and worship the Lord that was such, such an example to the, to the others around him and certainly to the kings that came after him. This man fell short of that, but he did follow the example of his father Amaziah when his father was serving the Lord. The problem is Amaziah didn't always serve the Lord. He turned his back on the Lord, and in some ways Uzziah followed that example as well. Amaziah was devoted to the Lord, his God, early in his reign, but he forsook the Lord as God after his victory over the nation or kingdom of Edom. He started to think of himself more highly than he ought to and started to worship the trophies of his success, which again we saw last week. But Uzziah was unable, like his father, to completely eliminate the idolatrous altars from the land. That is, while he was not an idolater, many of the people within the kingdom were. And so he worshiped the Lord, but allowed false religious practices within his kingdom. We'll see that there are very few kings that were able to purge the kingdom of this idolatry. He was unable to, though he was a good king. Unfortunately, that meant that he looked the other way while others openly disobeyed the word of the Lord. And there are some that may serve the Lord, but are willing to look the other way when others do not. So he was greatly influenced, as we saw in verse 5, in his devotion to the Lord by a man named Zechariah. Now, you're probably aware there's a book in the Bible named after a man named Zechariah, but that is a different prophet at a different time. It's a a well-known name. Uh, Zechariah was, in Greek, Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist, so Zechariah. And so it's a a very well-known name. This is a different Zechariah. We don't know much about him. He's not the prophet. But he did instruct this king, Uzziah, in the fear of the Lord. And I believe that is why this king was able to reign for so long and so successfully. Because simply, he had a person in his life, as it says here in verse 5, that he sought, the, the, he sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God, and as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. So he was influenced and encouraged by a man named Zechariah. Being encouraged by someone else is okay. I learned early on, you, you can't do this thing on your own. The scripture tells us that where two or three are gathered, Jesus is in our midst. We're designed to do this thing together. Fellowship and community in the Greek koinonia is really one of the hallmarks of Christianity. It's one of the things that separates us from others, that we have each other, and aren't we glad? Especially over the last few years, even today, having one another. How many difficult times have you gone through that you didn't have to go through alone? And how, e- how much easier was it to get through those difficult times because you weren't alone? Think about it. So we see the secret to his success was fellowship with a man by the name of Zechariah. And the Lord gave him success as long as he sought him. That is, he sought the Lord. So let's talk about Uzziah's reign. In verses 6 through 15, we learn that he was an extremely capable ruler, and he brought great prosperity to Judah. I've often thought, why do certain leaders seem like they're more capable than others? And I think there are certainly men and women who are more capable than others. But so many things can't be controlled. There's so many things outside of the control of leaders that you have to wonder. I mean, 
Why can one leader be so successful and another be so incompetent? A lot of times I think it really just comes down to their heart for God. See, God will bless a leader that seeks him and his wisdom and those that know him. And if you really truly are seeking to bless others and you're seeking God's help in doing that, don't you think that that's a prayer that God might answer? But when you defy God and his word and promote all manner of evil and sexual sin, and you promote all types of nasty stuff like we see today in our world, should you expect that leader to be able to even achieve any level of competence at all? No, because you see they're working against God. They're rejecting God's wisdom. They're doing the very opposite of the things that God would call them to do and standing for the things that God abhors and hates. And so even if they are a competent individual, they're not going to be successful because God is not blessing them in their endeavors. Amen? So you could say, well, you know, someone's incompetent or it's not their fault. But I'll tell you this, uh, there have been presidents and leaders who have not necessarily been the most competent individuals who sought the Lord and God blessed them. And then there have been those that were extremely competent that weren't able to achieve any level of success because they rejected God. And we see this throughout history. So, as we look at verses 6 through 15, we see he brought great prosperity to Judah. Look at verses 6 through 15. He went to war against the Philistines. Now, the Philistines had been harassing them during his father's reign. So he went to war against the Philistines, broke down the walls of Gath, Jabna, and Ashdod. They were cities in Philistia. He then rebuilt towns near Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines, and God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabs who lived in Gerbal and against the Meunites. Isn't that interesting? God helped them. You know, it seems like it would kill some of our leaders to ask God for help in prayer. But that's what they need, that humility that they do not have. Well, the Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah, and his fame spread as far as the border of Egypt because he had become very powerful. Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, at the valley gate, and at the angle of the wall, and he fortified them, and he also built towers in the desert and dug many cisterns uh, because he had much livestock in the foothills and in the plain, and he had people working his fields and vineyards in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. This is a king who loved farming. Uzziah had a well-trained army ready to go out by divisions according to their numbers as mustered by Jael, the secretary, and Masaiah, the officer under the direction of Hananiah, one of the royal officials. The number of family leaders over the fighting men was 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500 men trained for war, a powerful force to support the king against his enemies. Uzziah provided shields, spears, helmets, coats of armor, bows, and sling stones for the entire army. In Jerusalem, he made machines designed by skillful men for use on the towers and on the corner defenses to shoot arrows and hurl large stones. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. And who was helping him? God was helping him. Why? He was asking for God's help. So what would you say as a Christian the secret to success is? In any endeavor, the secret to prosperity, what is it? It's asking God for help. That is dependence upon God. 
I would say that that translates over to a nation or a, or a country as well. That if a nation repents and humbles themselves and asks for God's help and looks for God to bless them as the scripture encourages us, cries out to God, repents of their wickedness, that God will help that group of people. God will, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and cry out to me, he will heal their land. That, I wish we could see this, but there's so much pride in the hearts of our leaders foolish pride, that they're trying to figure out their way out of a situation they created for themselves simply because they're unwilling to humble themselves before God. And even the wisest man or woman has to admit they're not wise enough to rule a nation. They need God's help. And when a nation or a leader of a nation refuses to admit that, inevitably they will suffer the consequences of pride. So he was an extremely capable ruler. He, as we already read, rebuilt the port that Eloth, restored the sea trade in Judah. We read about that in verse 2 of this chapter. The Lord helped him to conquer his enemies and become a great king. He was victorious against the Philistines, the Arabs, and the Meunites, and these were people that had harassed them for decades. He received tribute, that is taxes, income, from the Ammonites, who were their enemies, and became famous and very powerful. And he fortified national defense and brought agricultural prosperity to Judah. You know, they're talking about the problems we might end up having if we go into a recession in this nation. And uh, I think we can all live without foreign cars and big screen TVs, but I don't know any of us that can live without food. And I'm very concerned about the supply chain. I'm very concerned about uh, the food supply. I'm, I'm concerned about these things because... You know, the rich will always be able to buy whatever they want. It's those who have less income that suffer the most. The very people that our nation's leaders profess to represent are the ones that suffer the result of their incompetence and their pride. And that saddens me. So I pray for our nation to humble itself and our leaders to humble themselves so that we may not have to find out what will happen if we go into a really bad recession. Well, the Lord helped this man, Uzziah. He helped him to muster a large and well-trained and well-equipped army, which is necessary to preserve their way of life. They need to protect their people, right? And so everything was going well. I've just read what could easily be described as a very successful reign. But as is often the case, when we are at our peak of success, we are vulnerable to pride. It takes a very special leader to achieve success and not be filled with the kind of pride that brings destruction or a fall. Let's read what happened next. And and what happened next is so sad because it really comes from this man just thinking more highly of himself than he ought to. You see, he's the king, but now he wants to be a priest. And he is descended from the tribe of Judah, descendant of David. Therefore, he is not of the priestly line of Levi. He is not descended from Aaron. He has no business pretending to be a priest or trying to do the things that priests do. And so many times, gifted men and women try to operate outside their gifting or their calling. I'll tell you, you know, there are many things that I can do. I only am interested in doing the things that I am called to do. And, you know, you may have the ability to do a number of things, right? You may have many gifts or many abilities. But you need to be clear 
in your life doing the things that God has called you to do, not doing the things that he hasn't called you to do. And then there are times where we try to do things we're clearly not even gifted to do, and it's a disaster because God isn't with us. It's okay to say, hey, you know what? I am not an artist. I am not a visual artist. I took mechanical drawing in high school, and I could use a ruler, so I was pretty good at that. But when I have to freehand, that is not my skill set. I've seen some artists that just, I watch them, and I, and I can't even believe how they create. I'm fascinated by it. I admire it. I love to go to museums. But I don't sit there thinking, oh, maybe I'll be an artist someday. I just know that's not something I'm called to do, and it's not something I'm gifted to do. But it's okay. I don't have to be good at everything, and I'm not. You know, I mean, there's some things that, that, that I clearly am called to do and some things that I'm clearly not called to do. You know, you can be uh, competent at something, too, and just not have the temperament or the patience to do it. Like, oftentimes as a pastor, I'm called to counsel people, biblically, to counsel them from God's Word. And I find that in that calling, in that gifting, I'm good for about an hour. I can be compassionate and sympathetic and reasonably helpful for about an hour. After that, get out of my office. I just don't have the temperament or the patience to listen to it for longer than that. So therefore, I would probably not be a good candidate to be a counselor, right? Because a counselor has to meet with someone on a frequent basis and hear the regurgitation of what happened last week. And honestly, at that point, I just know my temperament is such that, you know, I I may not be able to control my frustration. But I'm good for an hour. So what I will do when someone has a problem, I will meet with them. About an hour, I say, let's pray. That's my way of saying this is done. We're done. I can't really help you anymore, and only God can help you. So let's go to God. We pray, and other people have these giftings to go longer, but not me. And I just pray, and I say, all right, well, that's great. Well, Pastor, when can we get together again? When you have another problem. I'll be glad to get together with you again. Oh, but I need more help with this problem. Well, I can recommend a really good counselor, someone who's gifted and equipped to help you through the process that you need to go through. I know I'm not that person. In fact, I've shared this with our leaders in mentoring. I learned that there were three things that I was not going to do very early on in ministry. One was psychological counseling because I'm not equipped or educated to handle that. Another was long-term marital counseling because I've already shared with I'm good for an hour and that usually takes a lot longer than that and (laughs) the other is drug and alcohol uh, dependency recovery counseling because that's not a skill set or an experience that I feel gifted to do we have some people in our church who are and they're wonderful at it they're gifted to do that so I know those three things are not within my wheelhouse that's not things that I'm called to do okay there are things that I am called to do. So I'm sharing that with you because I, don't, I think it's okay to say that you're not good at everything. It's okay to say, you know what? I'm not necessarily called to do everything in this world. Uzziah forgot that. Uzziah thought, well, I'm a successful king. Why not be a priest too? Except that God had made it abundantly clear the priests were descended from Levi and specifically from, the, from Aaron, the brother of Moses. He had no business trying to do what he wasn't called to do. And so we read in verse 16, we read very clearly that this worked out terribly for him. It says, but after Uzziah, in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verse 16, but after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now, they're not even supposed to enter the temple 
unless they're Levites. And they're not supposed to offer incense unless they're priests. And this man, who's a king descended from the tribe of Judah, seems to think he knows better than God. It says, Azariah, the priest, with 80 other, notice, courageous priests of the Lord, followed him in. And they confronted him and said, it is not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful, and you will not be honored by the Lord God. You are way outside your pay grade. You are not called to be where you're called to be. And you're trying to do something God has not called you to do. It's only going to end in disaster. And it's because of pride. That's, what, that's the summary of what they said to him. So Uzziah, notice, who had a censer in his hand. So he's all set. He's going to go for it. He's going to burn some incense. It says, Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand, ready to burn incense, became angry. Well, why is he angry? Because he's being told he can't do what he wants to do. You ever seen a toddler when you tell them they can't have a cookie? And if they think for a minute you might actually give it to them anyway, oh, they'll scream. They'll let you know. Once you let them know this is the law, you're not going to break it, then, you know, all of a sudden they, they stop because they realize, oh, I guess I'm not going to get away with it. This guy's acting like a petulant child, like a little child, like a, like a toddler who didn't get his cookie. And it says he became angry. And while he was raging, notice, raging at the priests in their presence before the incense altar, in the Lord's temple, leprosy, that is a terrible skin condition, leprosy broke out on his forehead, of all places. That's not the kind of place you can forget about, right? It broke out on his forehead, and when Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, they saw that he had leprosy on his forehead, so they hurried him out. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. Oh, now he wants to leave. You know, it's so sad. It says King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. I mean, it says, goes on to say he lived in a separate house, leprous, and excluded from the temple of the Lord. And Jotham, that is his son, had charge of the palace and governed the people of the land. So you see co-regency there. What happened here? How sad. How quickly a person can go from being in a good place, blessed by God, to being filled with pride in the wrong place of God, a place God has not called them to be. I can tell you that this isn't a direct application, but if you're doing well with the Lord and you allow yourself the freedom to be in a place or on a website where you're not supposed to be, things can go south very quickly. Before you know it, you're leprous. Well, leprosy in the Bible is a type of sin, but it's a type of incurable sin. It's a type of sin that you can't just get rid of. It's not a little rash that you put a little cream on and it goes away in two days. No, this is a chronic skin condition that when we say leprosy in the Bible, we don't necessarily mean Hansen's disease as we know it, but some type of skin condition that's really fatal, that that ultimately will, will kill you. And this happened. This was God's judgment against him, his chastisement for being in the wrong place at the wrong time, for, uh, for being so filled with pride that he thought he could do something he wasn't called to do. You know, there's nothing sadder than seeing a person continue to try to do something they're not called to do. In this case, what he was trying to do wasn't necessarily sinful, that is, burning incense to the Lord. 
But it was sinful because he wasn't a priest. It was sinful because he violated God's word about doing what was a good thing because he wasn't called to do a good thing. And I think sometimes we look at a good thing and we say, well, it's a good thing. God's going to bless me if I do it. I'm going to plant a church. It's a good thing. And yet God hasn't called you to plant a church. And I've seen lives destroyed and ruined through people trying to plant churches that weren't called to be planted. And I've seen people start ministries that should have never been started and people in the, in the pulpit that it should have never been there. And if they had just not tried to do what they weren't called to do, things probably would have been, been good for them. They, they would have went well for them. Instead, they do things that God hasn't called them to do. And it's evident from the start. There's no fruit. There's no success. There's strife. There's division. People leave. You know, it's not good. It's not of God. And you say, but it's a church. We can't stop now. This is a good work. Yeah, but you're not called to be a priest or a pastor. You're not called. Yeah, but it's a good thing. Yeah, but you're not called. And so you're going to break out in leprosy. That is, there's going to be sin in your life because of disobedience, not because what you were trying to do was evil, but because you were evil in trying to do it. We have to be careful. You know, God's will is, is right there with his word. He gives us his word, but then he gives us his will. And you might say, well, the Bible says, and you have to also say, but God has led me too. Yeah, the Bible says to be in ministry, it's a good thing. But has God led you to do it? Because it can be a disastrous, leprous thing if God hasn't called you there. And so leprosy is a type of sin, but an incurable sin, a sin that, that really only Jesus could heal. And so here's this man, now leprous for the rest of his life, having to be separated from everybody. And listen, proud fools ultimately isolate themselves. They ultimately are separated from everyone around them because their pride brings them to destruction. And that is exactly what happened to Uzziah. He refused to accept the Lord's limitations on his power and authority. And he was told by the priest that he was being unfaithful to the Lord his God, entering the temple to burn incense on the altar of of incense. He refused to even heed the counsel and the warning of others in authority before he broke out in leprosy. He was given a little grace that if he had backed down, maybe that wouldn't have happened. He was confronted by Azariah, the chief priest, and 80 other, it says, courageous priests. Why courageous? Because the king could put them to death. But they were courageous enough to stand for God. And they rebuked this man for acting as a priest and ordered him to leave the sanctuary. That was their domain. They had the authority to do that. But he angrily demanded his own way in rebellion against the word of the Lord. Broke out in leprosy on his forehead as he raged at the priests. And, of course, they hurried him out of the temple after he had been afflicted by the Lord, and he was eager to leave now once the Lord had afflicted him, afflicted him, probably hoping that he could be healed. Well, in verse 21, we saw this. He was relieved of his responsibilities as king. So he went from being a good king, trying to be a priest, to not even really being a king anymore. In name, he was a king, but he couldn't function as king, so he had his son reign in his stead while he was still alive, separated and quarantined. We all know what that word means now. Quarantined in his home. Relieved of his responsibilities as his son Jotham was made co-regent. In a separate house, excluded from the temple of the Lord. Couldn't worship anymore. Not at the temple, not outside the temple, not, not even near the temple. And so his son Jotham, who we'll study about next week, took charge of the palace and governed the people of Judah. And the record of all of Uzziah's other accomplishments has been preserved not only here, but in 2 Kings chapter 15, 
uh, where we read about Uzziah's reign as king of Judah. Look at verse 22. It says, there are other books as well. It says, the other events of Uzziah's reign from beginning to end are recorded by the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. You know, it's interesting because God's word tells us a fair amount about this man. As I said, we have 2 Kings chapter 15. Uh, in, in the book of Kings, uh, it, it discusses the annals of the kings of Judah. And that's First and Second Chronicles. That's recorded there for us. And so the books of the kings of Judah are uh, First and Second Kings. And then you have First uh, and Second Chronicles. And you also have, of course, the book of the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, which is the book we call Isaiah. So between those three books in the Bible, you can learn a lot about the life of the man we call Uzziah. But he died separated and excluded from the people of Judah. Look verse 23. Look at it. It says, Uzziah rested with his fathers and was buried near them in a field for burial that belonged to the kings, for people said he had leprosy. And Jotham, his son, succeeded him as king. And so ends the reign of a a good man, at one time very good man, capable man, a man who was blessed because he had the strength of God and God's help in all that he did. But he threw it all away, trying to be something that God had not called him to be. Trying to do what was considered to be a blessed thing, a good thing, but evil because he was disobeying God and doing it. See, as he died, separated and excluded from the people of Judah, he had reigned as king for a total of 52 years. A long reign. In fact, he reigned as co-regent with his father Amaziah for 24 years. And he then reigned alone as king for 16 years until he was afflicted with leprosy. And then he co-reigned with his son Jotham for the next 12 years until he died. So you have the overlap of those kings. His was actually the longest continuous reign in the history of any of the kings of Judah or Israel. Now, there was another king, Manasseh, who I believe reigned for 55 years, but not continuously because he was taken into captivity for a long period of time. Though he was king for 55 years, he didn't reign for that time. Here this man reigned for 52 years, even though he was in seclusion. He rested with his fathers ultimately in the place that the Hebrews referred to as Sheol, waiting for the coming judgment. I believe he was a godly man who just allowed himself to be filled with pride. He was buried in the city of David near the tomb of the kings of Judah, but not in the tombs because he had leprosy. Even in death, you were separated because of leprosy. And brothers and sisters, leprosy, a type of sin, will separate you from God. It will separate you from God's people. It will separate you from God's best. So what do we do with leprosy? Well, Jesus healed lepers, amen? We come to God with our sins and we ask for forgiveness. And he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Leprosy, if you will. And we can be cured of this pride because if we humble ourselves, he'll lift us up, right? He resists the proud, but he exalts the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, in the sight of God that he might lift you up. How do you stay humble? Well, that's the struggle, isn't it? But one of the things you can do is spend time around someone else like he did with Zechariah and allow yourself to be accountable to others like he didn't with Azariah. So that when someone says, what in the world are you doing here? You might say, oh, I see your point, instead of getting angry and raging at people who are trying to help you. Well, this man again, buried in a nearby field, and his son succeeded him. His son Jotham succeeded his father Uzziah as king of Judah. I just want to make a 
an observation that if you're familiar with the prophets, major and minor prophets, Isaiah, Hosea, and Amos all recorded the moral condition of Judah at the time of Uzziah's death. So if you really want to know from a prophet's perspective what was happening in the nation, read those books or at least those portions of those books that dealt with the time that Uzziah was king. In fact, you remember I mentioned this last week, Isaiah received a vision of God's throne at the time when he wasn't on the throne, right? Remember, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his glory filled the temple. And Isaiah receives this vision at a time where there was a new king or a king who had co-reigned for some period of time on the throne, but it was the year that Uzziah died, after 52 years of this man leading the nation, the throne had been emptied of this man, and he was no longer sitting on it. And it was in this year when the children of Israel really needed to be encouraged that Isaiah received a vision that I encourage you to read this week in Isaiah chapter 6. And of course, this would have been a great comfort to a nation accustomed to being led in great strength. That's what happens in nations when you have a competent leader and they die. Now, granted, he was a proudful man, a very uh, a man filled with a great deal of pride, but he was still competent. He was still at one point blessed by God. Listen, I just want to encourage you, if, if some of what we talked about resonated with you this evening and you're feeling that, you know, maybe I've been giving my heart to pride and not making myself accountable, you know, it's like when he was in the temple and they said, get out of here before the leprosy broke out on his head, right? Like, take the opportunity now to repent and ask God to forgive you. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this encouragement. Thank you for this, this lesson. Help us to apply it to our hearts, that we might live our lives for you. And we know that, as Nebuchadnezzar shared in Daniel 4, that whoever walks in pride, God is able to humble. Lord, we don't desire to be humbled. Not in that way. We desire to be lifted up. And so, Lord, keep our hearts humble before you. Help us to make ourselves accountable each day to you and to others that we might live our lives for you. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.